So I would like to introduce our speaker for this morning, Mark Persons. Boy, I confidently called him Chris this morning, right to his face. All right, here you go, Mark. Thanks for coming. Well, good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be here with you today. I am, uh, my name is Mark Person. My wife, Michelle, and our little baby daughter, Karis, are here this morning as well. And um, I, I've worked at uh, Stepney Baptist Church in Monroe for the last four and a half years and uh, continue working, helping with youth ministry there. So I send greetings from our, our sister church up the road in Monroe. And, uh, and then this last year, I've started working at Christian Heritage School just over in Trumbull, um, working, uh, teaching some Bible classes there, and has just been a really, really neat fit and serve as the chaplain. And the thing that I'm trying to impress more and more on our students is that they need to develop a passion for the local church. You graduate from Christian school, but after that, how do you continue to grow as a lifelong uh, learner and disciple in Christ? It's got to be through the local church. And so what you guys are up to this morning matters deeply. And I was just so encouraged, just uh, welcomed so warmly by Dom and Bob and Scott prayed for me this morning. Um, You guys are doing it. You're doing it. You know that? And I wanted to encourage you too. You've got a great pastor. I got to know Dan a couple of years ago as I was starting seminary, and he kind of coached me through how to, how to do this distant seminary up at Gordon-Conwell commuting. And, um, and yeah, just so neat to, to see Clayton's heart this morning. You guys, you're doing it. I want you to encourage you that, that God's called you here and, and excited for what he's, he's got ahead for you all. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about hypocrisy. But before we do that, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for another day of life that you've given us. Thank you for the great privilege it is to share your word. Uh, We thank you that your word is sure, it's powerful, it speaks um, to our soul, and calls us into something more. I pray that your your spirit would have its way this morning. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray, amen. So I had a pretty hard conversation just a couple weeks ago with my older brother. I'm one of six kids from Illinois originally, and my older brother kind of walked me through why he is no longer calling himself a Christian. And at the top of the list of reasons was that he got tired of seeing hypocrisy in the church. People that claimed they followed Christ but didn't do a whole lot about it. This isn't an isolated critique of Christianity, though. Gandhi famously said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. Pastor Kerry Newolf says, The problem with most non-Christians isn't that they don't know other Christians. The problem is that they do know Christians. And so many people have rejected Christ because of hypocrisy In the church. But did you know that Jesus found hypocrisy just as frustrating and offensive as modern critics of Christianity do? He took great offense at Christianity, he was outraged by it. Jesus took great offense at hypocrisy. And so when people say that the church is too hypocritical, they're actually agreeing with Jesus. And we should never disregard someone that we actually find ourselves agreeing with. Instead, we should probably listen to them a little bit more. But what is a hypocrite? Well, in in ancient Greece, the hypocrite was the play actor. It was someone whose job was pretending. 
They pretended that they were someone that they weren't. It was presenting themselves as something that they weren't. And I think that's what we do all the time. We present ourselves in a way that makes us look better than we are. And this is the heart of hypocrisy. Uh, Most people, though, I would like to say, don't intend to be a hypocrite, right? We usually find ourselves stumbling into it. We've got high standards. And we realize they're hard to make into realities in our lives sometimes. But I think at the very heart of hypocrisy is this, this underlying fear that someone's going to find out that we're a phony, that we're not actually who we say we are. People are going to find out that we are fakes. You know, there was a 12-year-old boy who sat down in a dentist's office. He was filling out the new patient questionnaire, and at the end it had a section for hobbies, and uh, he wrote down basketball, swimming, and flossing my teeth, right? Right? See, we, we love to present ourselves in the best possible light to the world. We want people to think that we have it all put together. We don't want people to know that we're fakes. And so we hide our true selves, right? And the subtle power of hypocrisy is that after a while, you and I start to believe the lie. We start to become method actors who can no longer break from character because we've believed this false self that we've presented ourselves as. But what do I really mean by hypocrisy? What does it look like? Here's some examples. It's making it seem like you have more money than you do. It's pretending that your marriage is perfect, even though you struggle sometimes like everyone else. It's, it's trying to present yourself as, some, as someone more spiritual than you are. Or pretending that you love everyone like the Bible calls you to, and yet there are probably people that you avoid, judge, maybe even people that you're withholding forgiveness from. It's your posts on social media that make you seem happier and healthier than you really are. It's telling people everything's fine, when deep down you've got some really heavy things going on and you don't don't quite know how to process it. It's making it seem like you've got parenting down or your career in order or the school and friendship thing figured out when you are just as lost as everyone else. This is hypocrisy. This is presenting ourselves in a way that's not our true self. And I want you to hear me clearly this morning before we get too deep into it. I'm not telling you you should go and air all your dirty laundry with every random person on the street. Uh, there's, a, there's, an, uh, there's a right type of sharing But I want to suggest to you that most people, not just Christians, function in this way. We want to hide ourselves. We don't want people to see our insecurities. We want to present ourselves as the ideal person. But when we do this, I want to suggest this morning, we're actually reinforcing the insecurities that other people already have. And on top of that, we are living an empty lie. It's a lose-lose. So today... I'm going to give us all, I think, an opportunity at the end to take off the costume, to hang up the hypocrisy that we've been holding on to, and to acknowledge who we really are. But before we end with this idea of hope for the hypocrite in all of us, I want to spend a little bit of time looking at why Jesus found hypocrisy to be so offensive, why he was so bothered by it. And I think these are the two reasons we're going to see that hypocrisy is evil. It leaves other people lame. And hypocrisy is empty. It puts us to shame. 
So if you want to open with me in your Bibles, I think we'll also have it on the screen. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. It's page 872 in your chair Bibles. I want to call them pew Bibles, but they're actually chairs. We'll call them what they are, chair Bibles. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Here's what it says. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So hypocrisy is evil. It leaves others lame. And let me tell you from the onset that hypocrisy will numb your sensitivity toward people. It will suffocate your ability to feel compassion and empathy for other people. And as we see very clearly in this ruler, uh, it will also take away your capacity for awe and wonder in this world. This miraculous event has barely registered in the mind of the ruler of the synagogue. He totally misses it. Right after a woman uh, who's been bound for 18 years is healed, all he can say is what? Couldn't this have waited till tomorrow? I mean, really, Jesus, couldn't you have waited till after the Sabbath? That's all he can say. In the face of what could only be described as a miraculous event, he's losing his ability to experience awe and wonder. But we have to give this guy credit, right? This was an expert in the law, and he understood that you could and could not do certain things on the Sabbath. So let's engage that for a second. Actually, some of the strongest warnings in the Old Testament were to keep the Sabbath holy. And so he's not altogether wrong that they were supposed to stop working cease striving, that they were actually supposed to sit and rest and remember that God was the one in charge and providing. In fact, the Sabbath was designed to help us overcome this hypocrisy, this heart of pretending, because when they stopped working, they were acknowledging that God was still working for them. And that they could stop pretending that they were the ones doing everything. God was in fact providing for them moment by moment. But the ruler of the synagogue had twisted the Sabbath, hadn't he? He was preferring to use it as a stage for his own one-man show where people could see just how spiritual and knowledgeable he was about the law. And so in the process, he would have gladly left this woman who'd been bound for 18 years lame for another day. You know, hypocrisy is obvious in that it focuses more on 
your own output than on others' outcomes. You see the difference there? That hypocrisy is all about personal output. The ruler of the synagogue is asking, how much work am I allowed to do? And he's missing that some work could be done that would bring beautiful outcomes for his community. He was only thinking in output, not outcomes. Jesus was thinking in outcome. What fruit will this action produce for the community? And so this woman who had suffered 6,570 days, the ruler of the synagogue says to her, let's wait one more day. And Jesus emphatically says, no more. Let's stop waiting. Let's let this woman experience Sabbath rest, Sabbath healing. You know, I, uh, when I first started uh, dating my wife, it did not go over very well. Uh, we broke up after three months, um, kind of a crash and burn type of deal. And as we started to rebuild the relationship and, and, and date again, she told me one of the factors that really troubled her was that I never once in those three months called her beautiful. Okay, I never looked at her and said, hey, I think you're beautiful, Michelle. And so I'm ashamed to say this only about a couple months ago, but I thought, you know what? I think I'm slipping again. I don't think I'm calling Michelle beautiful enough. And so I said, hey, Siri. And I I asked Siri to every morning remind me to tell my wife that she was beautiful. And, you know, this was going well for a while. She was like, wow, he's so thoughtful. He's waking up in the morning at the same time every day and telling me I'm beautiful. And this was all going very well until Michelle realized that I was responding not to her character and person, but to the promptings of Siri, right? And so I was focusing on the output. If I say she's beautiful, I'll be doing it right, right? But I was missing that if I actually just slow down and stop being busy and and working, that I would be able to see her clearly and say, hey, you are beautiful, Michelle. She was supposed to be right there. This would have been a lot of points, but the baby started crying. So, you know, I'll tell her what I said. She'll appreciate it, I'm sure. But let me tell you this. As, as a husband, you all know this. You can get it all right. Still be totally wrong, right? And that's what this heart of this ruler of the synagogue is saying here. He had it all right. Letter of the law. But he was missing. He was missing what the Sabbath was supposed to be doing in his heart and in the community around him. Rest healing, refreshment, but he was twisting it. The ruler of the synagogue was actually using his religious devotion to make himself look good and to avoid entering an uncomfortable circumstance. And if you're not a Christian here today, you can avoid, you can ignore this question. But for the rest of us, I wanna wanna ask this. Do you ever use your religious devotion to avoid uncomfortable circumstances? I mean, someone's life will be literally falling apart in front of us and they're reaching out for help and you know what we say? I'll pray for you. And then we don't stay with them and we don't pray for them. We forget. We move on. We use our religious jargon to say, yeah, I'm I'm with you in this, brother. And then we just, we don't do anything about it. That's the heart of hypocrisy right there. How about this one? Here's another question. How often are we pushing off things to tomorrow that God's calling us to do today? One of our favorite lines in Fairfield County is, I'm just so busy. I'd love to help out, but I'm just so busy. And again, hear me rightly. We need to be able to say no sometimes. This isn't a message telling you, do more, prove that you're a Christian. That's not the message this morning. But the message is this. 
If we claim to be Christians and start noticing an unloving or insensitive spirit, it's possible, perhaps likely, that we've got some hypocrisy going on in our hearts. It's very possible. Hypocrisy, we see in this passage, is evil because it leaves other people lame, pushes them off to the side. It focuses more on our output than on outcomes. It leaves others lame. But I want to suggest it doesn't just only hurt others. Hypocrisy does hurt others, but it also causes um, hurt for us as well. I want to suggest that hypocrisy is evil because it leaves others lame, but it's also empty because it ultimately puts you and me to shame. So if you want to look with me again in the text at, at actually verses 14 uh, and 17, verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. And then down to verse 17, we see the result that as he said these things, Jesus, all his adversaries were put to shame. Jesus very simply and effortlessly points out the emptiness of the ruler. See, if he's okay with untying his donkey on the Sabbath day, he should be more than okay seeing a woman bound for 18 years, unloosed from these chains. You know, if if he's okay with letting his ox or his donkey uh, drink water on the Sabbath, he should be okay seeing an, a woman who suffered experience the living water of Christ. But he's not okay. It actually says he's indignant. I mean, if anyone should be indignant in this passage, I would think it would be the woman who'd suffered for 18 years. Because Jesus, with a word and a touch, can heal her, and he waited 18 years to do it? If I'm anyone in this story who, who should be indignant, I think it'd be the woman. Jesus, really? You couldn't have done this 17 years ago? But she's not indignant. She glorifies God. It's the observer, the bystander, who is not okay with this scene. And it says that he was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And at the end of this passage, it explains that this perspective was a perspective that was put to shame. Have you ever been put to shame before? I mean, I think we all know the feeling. It's the one we'd like to be able to forget, frankly. That feeling of, of trusting in something. And it's totally disappointed you. It's, it's banking on something. And then realizing that it's turned out to be a fraud. It's counting on something. And then realizing it just falls right through. And I, I want to suggest that the most common way we experience this is with ourselves that we trust, on our, trust in ourselves, we count on ourselves, we bank on ourselves, and at the end of the day, we are put to shame. Have you ever just been blown away by one of your failures? You can't believe that you would have done this? I was just reading with, uh, with some of my seniors at Christian Heritage. We read the book, The Horse and His Boy, through the, through the year together. And there's this powerful scene. I don't know if you know the story, but there's two talking horses and two young children that are journeying together to uh, save Narnia and Arkenland. And uh, along the way, they encounter lions. And uh, these lions seem fierce. 
and one of them begins to chase after them. And these two horses, they're very different. There's one very large horse named Bree, who's a war horse. He's always talking about his battle victories and all that he was able to accomplish. And then there's a much smaller mare named Huynh, who's very humble, who's quiet and patient. And, uh, and then there's these two, these two young children. And when the lions come, the first to bolt is the war horse, Bree. He just leaves everyone else behind. And in fact, the young boy who's riding him jumps off the horse and runs back toward danger to help the situation. And ultimately, they are spared. And they, 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 uh, the next day, they're all together. And this great, big, proud war horse has just slumped away in the corner. He's got his head down. He's so ashamed because he talked this big talk, but he wasn't able to fulfill it. And there's a wise kind of sage character in this, um, in this part of the story that says this. My good horse, you've lost nothing but your self-conceit. No, no, don't put, don't put back your ears and shake your mane at me. If you're really so humbled as you sounded a minute ago, you must listen to sense. You're not quite the great horse you had come to think from living among poor dumb horses. Of course you were braver and cleverer than them. You could hardly help that. But it doesn't follow that you'll be anyone very special in Narnia. But as long as you know you are nobody special, you'll be a very decent sort of horse. Is this not all of us? We've got these high standards for ourselves that we pretend that we're, we're living out. But ultimately, it's these high standards that make us look so foolish, just like Bree. High standards ultimately make us look foolish. And without trying to convince you too hard this morning, I just want to strongly suggest that all of us are hypocrites. It's not a Christian problem. It's not a Christian-specific problem. It's a human problem. We all have high standards for ourselves and others, but we usually fail them, don't we? But I want to return to our initial question and really see why Jesus gets so worked up about hypocrisy. We've said it's because it, it leaves others lame and it puts us to shame. But what at the heart of hypocrisy is so offensive to Jesus? You know, a lot of people have this perception that Jesus is a very calm guy, right? He's sandal-wearing, peace-loving guy, and he's just kind of hanging out with people. And frankly, this is the picture we see at times in Scripture. He is totally okay hanging out with prostitutes, with sinners and tax collectors, social outcasts, people with diseases. He is very calm and gracious with them. But when Jesus encounters hypocrisy, I mean, he just flies off the handle. He blows up. It's almost, you've probably seen this before, someone who's very calm and good-natured most of the time, but when something so against their character happens, they just erupt. This is, I think, what's going on with Jesus. This is how Jesus responds. So what is it that is so offensive about hypocrisy to Christ? Here's what I think it is. I think that hypocrisy is a posture that is completely contrary to Christ's character. You and I, even though we're broken and sinful, often choose a posture of pride. But Christ, who was perfect and sinless, took a posture of humility. You and I, we are always trying to pretend that we're someone greater than we are. And Jesus lived as someone less than he was. Do you see how ludicrous hypocrisy is for the Christian? 
It is counter to everything that Christ stood for. And yet this tends to be exactly how we prefer to operate. Setting ourselves up as someone that we know we're not, but starting to believe it anyways. And in the process, hurting others and ourselves. Are you trusting yourself? Actually, you know, these questions are for everyone this morning first. Not just the Christians. Do you, set your, do you set standards for others that you regularly disregard? Are you trusting yourself? Because if so, you are setting yourself up to be put to shame. You will be revealed as a phony, as an actor. And when it comes down to it, all of us are hypocrites. We just are. We play the part because we're afraid of being found out as phony. And in the process, we're hurting others and ourselves. Hypocrisy is evil. It leaves people lame, and hypocrisy is empty. It puts us to shame. So what is the hope for the hypocrite this morning? Look with me again at verses 12 and 13, and we'll, we'll try to bring this, bring this home today. Verses 12 through 13 say this, that when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And then he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Here is the hope for the hypocrite in all of us. If Jesus can heal a woman bent over for 18 years, he can straighten out our crooked souls. Uh, we may not have ugly physical deformities, but I know that I have a twisted and hypocritical heart. I know me, and it is pretty ugly. But look with me at the beauty of Christ for a moment. Look at how he heals this woman. Jesus says that she's healed and freed before she actually is. Do you notice that? He, he, he says it before it actually happens. He's using kind of the perfect tense here. You are freed, or you have been freed. Um, where normally you and I, we use the future tense, right? I am going to go to Five Guys for lunch today. And then we have to struggle to make that a reality in our lives. Jesus speaks and the created order simply obeys. In fact, this is how he created the world, right? Jesus spoke, let there be light, and there was. He spoke creation into existence. But not only that, Christ spoke redemption into existence as well. On the cross, he said this, it is finished. But he hadn't died yet. He hadn't been risen from the dead yet. He certainly hadn't ascended to the Father yet. But when he said it was finished, it was finished. See, Jesus' word is so sure. It's better than a guarantee. When Jesus speaks, the world has to obey. And that's what we see in this in this passage, Jesus is the very word of life. Do you believe today that Jesus can pronounce an end to your hypocritical heart? He can, with a word. But maybe the first question is, do you want to put an end to your hypocritical heart? Well, maybe, maybe you've started to believe this, this facade, this person that you've presented yourself as, and it's hard to break out of that mold. Do you want to be healed 
from your hypocritical heart. Maybe like the ruler of the synagogue, you have become a method actor, unable to break from the role. But wherever you're at today, I want to suggest a way forward for us, a way of hope. And uh, this is me being very goofy, you know, just finished seminary that uh, here's, our, here's our word today, car, okay, car. And I want you to think of this word whenever you get in your car this week. So hopefully that's an easy reminder. But, but it's three letters, C-A-R, car. The first thing I want you to do as you sit down and start your engine in the car is to consider the ways that you might be playing the part or preparing to play the part this day. Maybe it's a presentation at work and you're thinking, I gotta look like I have it together. I need to know like I've got all, all my ducks in a row. Maybe it's you're going to see a family or a friend and you don't want them to see the real things that are going on behind the scenes. I want you to consider, just consider how you might be presenting yourself as a hypocrite, as something that you're not actually So consider the ways you are playing the part. And if you do feel convicted, A, admit that you're a hypocrite. Admit that you're a hypocrite. We all are. In fact, I want to suggest even the woman with the disability was at her heart a hypocrite. But the difference is she was a humble hypocrite. She was able to respond to Jesus' word and glorify him. The ruler of the synagogue was a haughty hypocrite. But they were both hypocrites. They both needed spiritual healing. Admit that you're a hypocrite. And allow this now, R, receive the sure word of Christ's forgiveness. Receive the sure word of Christ's forgiveness. If he says you're freed, you'll be freed. And we all know that, that in reality, this is hard because we're still going to have those moments where we want to present ourselves again as something that we're not. But the first thing is that when Jesus does pronounce healing and forgiveness, it is a guarantee. This is Christ's work on our behalf that we receive and claim as our own. But I think, and I think, I think what a great setup Clayton gave us at the start of the, the service today, this idea of your understanding of bread versus your experience of bread. Man, the ruler of the synagogue had, had, a, had a phenomenal definition of Sabbath and of what God was. It was a perfect definition, but he had no experience of Sabbath rest. And I think some of us need to hear this today. Are your definitions of God greater than your experience of him? And I'm not encouraging you to chase a spiritual feeling, but I'm calling you into really receiving Christ's forgiveness And this hopefully spilling over into your community here, your relationships with one another. You need to find someone that you can do this car together with. Consider how you're playing the part. Admit to them the hypocrisy within you and together speak the truth of Christ's forgiveness over you. This is the great privilege of being a Christian. That we can openly admit that we're a hypocrite. We don't have to hide it. It's who we are. And yet in Christ, we get to walk in freedom and boldness, no longer playing the part, but letting people in and letting that be a testimony of the great work of God in us. I'm not concerned anymore about how people perceive me. I wish this is what I could do. This is where I want to be. We don't have to be concerned about how people perceive us because we know how Christ sees us. And this will start to uh, change the dialogue about hypocrisy in the church. 
When people say, this church is full of hypocrites, you can say, yeah, you're right, they are, and I'm one of them. But we have something better. We've got Christ. So I pray that this would encourage your spirits to consider how you play the part, admit that you're a hypocrite, and receive the sure word of Christ's forgiveness on your behalf. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for another day of life that you've given us. And God, we thank you for church service this morning, but this isn't the end of church as we walk out of here. Church is a body. It's a people set, set in motion to acknowledge our neediness, as we sang earlier, to claim your work for us, and to live more freely. God, we don't have to pretend anymore. We can acknowledge who we really are. And then as we confess sin to one another, we see you start to, to shape, shape our, our hearts, transform us in a way that's going to be beautiful to a broken and hurting world. And God, there's probably heaviness and, and hardship in this community that people are, are holding on to. They don't know what to do with. They don't want to let others in. Maybe there's sin that's, that's weighing us down, a, a, a consistent sin perhaps. God, we pray first that we would actually believe that your word of forgiveness and life is the truest thing that could be said of us and that when it's spoken, it is gospel truth. And so pray for that spirit this morning. We pray for those people as well, all of us, to start to let others in a little bit more. That as a community, we would stop pretending, but start proclaiming the goodness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in your beautiful name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.